Good afternoon and welcome to the Sitkin Nature Show. This is your host, Matt. I want to thank you for joining me here in the second weekend of September 2023. We are just a little over a week away from fall equinox. And I guess that marks the date of astronomical fall or me- uh, meteorological fall, I, as I understand it, starts on the 1st of September. So we are well into that already. And for bird purposes, we often start the fall season in August when we start to see more and more migrating birds. It is a time of migration for many species. The songbirds in the last week or so have really seemed to pick up in their numbers, warblers and sparrows and whatnot. Uh, Moving through, we've been seeing shorebirds for well over a month now and Other species will be coming as the season continues to turn more fully into fall. It is an interesting time of year for me, for birds, because it is a time when we are most likely to see vagrants. That is, birds that have wandered off course. This time of year, it's often young birds who get the wrong direction, maybe something a little messed up in their internal compass, and they often head, or I shouldn't say often, but occasionally there will be one that will head in the opposite direction of where it should go. And sometimes they end up here. And it is an exciting thing for folks that like to keep track of birds and keep track of their bird list to see a species that is unusual. So if you're seeing any birds showing up that don't look familiar to you, I'd be interested in checking them out. Please let me know. You can send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or you can get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. With this vagrant season just getting started, so far here in Sitka, we've seen a Hiraman skull. This is the second year in a row, and I think only the fourth time overall, or maybe the fifth here in Sitka. Elsewhere in southeast Alaska, there's been some exciting sightings, including rose-breasted grosbeak and a scissor-tailed flycatcher in Petersburg, a morning dove in Juneau, and I think probably some other interesting birds as well. But I'm certainly looking forward to what the fall turns up here in Sitka, so time will tell. The conversation I have for this week's show is one I recorded a couple of weeks ago with visiting naturalist Matt Muir. It's my second time speaking with him. He was in town just to do some naturalizing, some natural history, finding species, working on a big year project he set for himself. We'll go ahead and join the conversation with Matt offering a brief introduction, and we'll go from there. My name is Matt Muir. I'm originally from Kenai. I live in Anchorage now. Uh, I'm a biologist and naturalist, and I'm here in Sitka on um, a bit of a nature tour. I'm uh, taking some time off. I'm here in my personal capacity, but I work for the Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, Up based in Anchorage, I work in our international programs in Fish and Wildlife Service. And uh, yeah. So this is our second time visiting. I guess it's been, I don't remember, two, three years since you were last here. Yeah, I think we came in 2021. Okay. All those so sort of years are starting years. to mush yeah. together, right? But it's a couple years. So a couple years ago, and I think at the time, if folks are interested, we talked a little bit about some of your international travels and over, over time. And you're one of the early adopters, I would say, of iNaturalist. I think I first, I first saw about it when it was just getting started, and I was trying to figure out how to keep track of my own observations. And when I looked at it, it looked like it was just pretty much for California and because it was iNaturalist and then that was everything associated with Apple. So I thought it was some sort of Apple thing and California. And I was like, okay, that's not going to work for me. And then a few years later, I checked it out again and saw, oh, it's actually gone global. So I ended up 
I think joining in about 2013 or 15, one of those two years. But I think it got started in 2008, and it seems like you said you joined in not – well, a couple years. Yeah, after I joined in 2011, and I really went. It really grabbed me from the get go, right? So um, I added, you know, I have, I've, I was always been sort of into nature, right? So I had a lot of photos um, in my on my hard drive, and I immediately added um, those, and that got me to sort of a thousand observations or something like that. And at the time, right, it was that was like five to ten percent of the entire iNaturalist. Like all observations globally, not just California, not not just anything, and it was you know something between sort of like two and eight percent of all the iNaturalist observations. So yeah, I went uh, deep in the beginning. There was even like a year, two thousand thirteen or two thousand fourteen or something, where I led globally, um, adding uh, all observations. And so since then, though, right, the game has changed. It's like really become uh, a much more. Um, much much more popular, much more global, much more um, um, uh, used app, and so um, and community. So I am in no, nowhere near the leaderboard now um, in terms of of observations. Yeah, I think let's see if I'm looking. So it's like 180 million pushing 181 million total. The the, the web address for each observation increment. So there's some that would have been deleted, but yeah, but yeah. it's it's definitely pushing up toward it's over 180 million observations at this point. Yeah, I no, and I th- I sometimes yeah. think about that, right? Like sometimes things, you know, when they get when they get popular, right, and bigger, sometimes things uh can feel worse, but it's just gotten better. It's really gotten better for more and more people to be connected and more and more people to be adding new things, right? Like more people they have different eyes, right? They they have different interests. They they live in different places, and I think it just all sort of pushes us forward. So it's been really nice to see it grow. You know, now I'm in my twelfth year, right? On 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 this sort of type of social media, and it's just great. Yeah, it's been. I think maybe one of the. Well, I like the numbers. I like tracking this stuff, and I'm sure we'll get into some of that as we as we talk today. But the. One of the most helpful things has been the intersection of specialists in groups and naturalists in place. So I, I guess we, if we wanted to, to talk highly of ourselves, we'd say specialists in place with specialists in groups, uh, where I observe almost ex- – I mean, not entirely, but like 99% of my observations are within 30 miles of where we're sitting here in Sitka. Uh, and then I have a few from from some travels. Other people – emphasize their travels and hardly do anything at home. But in either case, there's this need to, like for me, I'm trying to learn what species are here. And it's difficult if you have an insect, a beetle, for example. There may only be one beetle that looks like that here. But if you think about it globally, there may be a bunch of them. And then looks like is kind of a moving target. It depends on your experience level and what you're used to seeing. And things that you're familiar with, you can discern remarkably subtle differences that seem become to seem obvious to you based on my experience with birds and plants. And I'm just like, well, those things look different. I don't know how I could explain it to you, but they, they don't look the same. Whereas when you're just getting started, they look the same. So having folks on iNaturalist who some of which, some of whom I should say are like academic sort of traditional experts in the, in the, in a field, they've, you know, did their graduate studies in this particular group and have gone on to become academics, professors and, and, and so forth, really researching these. And others are just like the fly people. I'll, I'll just call them the fly people, but 
<laughs> there was a group. I didn't realize they were high school students. Like there was a couple of brothers, I think, that got into flies and they started making these little fly guides. And I thought one of them at least was like a college teacher, professor, because yeah. there's some moth people that where there are college professors. But turns out, I'm trying to remember, the Dankowitz or something like that. Yeah, um, I think that's Yeah, right. Evan and, and uh, there's a Z. I can't remember what his uh, his name is. But they just really got into flies. They saw an opportunity. It says there's not a lot of work on flies. We'll dig into the into the references. We'll make these nice graphic, you know, based on photos guides. And then they recruited other people who just wanted to contribute. They're like, how can we help? And turns out identifying flies was a real need. And yeah. So now in North America, at least, if you post a fly, there's a good chance it's going to get at least a family on it. And often, you know, especially in some groups of flies, a species pretty quickly. Which I think motivates the rest of us, right? We're like, now when we see a flower fly, right? These are in the groups, uh, the uh, surfer, surfer day. Yep. Right? These flower flies um, that, like, it motivates the rest of us, right? Oh, right. Like, I'll take a picture of that. Even if I don't know what that is, right? I know that someone is interested in it, right? Someone, is, someone cares about it and someone's paying attention and they'll, they'll do their best to put a name on it, which is a great feeling. Yeah, and just recently, Paul Norwood was taking pictures of these flower flies. They're bee mimics. Um, they, many of them, not all of them, look kind of vaguely bee-like. They have their yellow and black patterns and, and so forth. And Paul was just taking some that were uh, pictures of, of some. Wasn't he, the, the ones that he was mostly noticing were, I think, surface or parasurface. Those can be a little difficult, but they're pretty common here. But in the background of the flower, I mean, it was sort of behind and partially obscured. There was another one that instead of being yellow and black was white and black. And one of the people that likes to identify these says, well, I think it's this species. And so Paul created a second observation. And that species has never been reported from Alaska before. So... It's uh, it's a wasn't a great photo because it wasn't what he was looking at noticing at the time, but yeah. it was there in that picture, and who knows if that's something that's regularly occurring here or, you know, it's it's hard to know sometimes. But having this information uh, or having this record allows us to be on the lookout for it. And so I actually went and looked for it later. I didn't find it again, which didn't surprise me, but it felt like it was worth the effort. Yeah, um, and. Just, you know, from uh, I think he was probably on a lunch break or something and uh, just taking pictures of the flies and the flowers. And then there's a new new insect that has not been reported in Alaska before. Yeah, I uh, I like to say that this sort of community and naturalist is like a space of intersection of expertise. Right. So like true, there may be some global experts in this uh, particular group of flies or um, rushes or, you know, any, any particular type of life. Right. But like, you know, people are the global experts of their place. Right. And that may be your yard. You may be the global expert of your yard. Right. Like no one is sort of coming to your yard and paying as much attention to how, uh, flowers and birds and other things are, are changing in your yard. Right. And the ability to post iNaturalist I and make an observation from your yard it creates the potential to intersect with these other specialists from either like a species or a regional base, right? Where suddenly you can sort of learn from them and gain knowledge from them where I, I just can't think of another way where it's it's set up in a way where that sort of learning can be passed on between the expertise of a specific place. And maybe it's your yard. Maybe it's the local forest that you go to, wherever, you know, you sort of feel the most f- familiar with and like in touch, right, with, with, with that site, with 
um, some really specialized expertise um, of regional natural history and, and species groups. You were mentioning to me before we started recording that there's a project that actually follows people that have set up house essentially projects where, where they're observing not maybe not strictly their house but their yard or, or some some relatively confined area and just finding a remarkable diversity in places that you wouldn't necessarily expect it. Yeah, so I think this took off during COVID, right? When, when during the start of the pandemic, when when people uh, were restricted to a very narrow space rather than their usual home range, and they just started observing intensely their their property or around their home. And um, people set up projects on iNaturalist, and there's projects in Europe, there's projects uh, in different African countries, in Asia, in North America. And um, I think a lot of people are, are sort of planting native plants and, you know, observing what comes to the native plants and everything associated with their garden. They're not uh, recording the sort of cultivated plants so much, but the things that come to them. And uh, it's really amazing what people can see, right, when they sort of intensely study their own surroundings and their own home. Um, I, I have one for my Anchorage property. It's not nearly as impressive as some of the other ones who have more than a thousand uh, species in taxa on their property. But I am the only home project so far that where moose is the most uh, frequently observed species. So I got that going for me. Yeah, I imagine there's a limited set of uh locations in the world where where moose is going to be your your most uh yeah most <laughs> abundant and i think every time one pops into the yard I, I can't help but take a photo yeah yeah do you get a lot of moose visiting your yard yeah so i live around westchester lagoon in anchorage if mm-hmm. people are familiar with anchorage it's a um the most it's a very uh um popular birding spot um in the anchorage area um it uh, uh is um the um, sort of water body associated with the outlet of Chester Creek that runs sort of, sort of an urban creek that goes through. Um, and so South Edition is a nice place for um, for urban wildlife. And of course, I hope um, moose continue to be um, urban wildlife for a long time in Anchorage. Um, it's also good because I think it teaches kids to be aware, right, of wildlife yeah. and talking about being moose aware. Uh, walking to school is the same sort of talk and, that I got, um, uh, you know, uh, growing up in Kenai, uh, quite a bit of moose in Kenai and I, I still remember sort of like climbing the snowbank right to get a to get out of moose walk in the street so wow. it's good for my own kids to do that too <laughs> yeah that's funny yeah having awareness it's uh it, of, of all sorts of things is 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 certainly something that I I tried to encourage in my kids we I guess we had bears around a little bit but not probably like moose are around um there um but they're, they're in the neighborhoods they move through usually at night and and Moose, for some reason, feel a little more, I don't know, maybe it's just the way they behave. Uh, maybe, like, they could be a little more of a threat uh, Yeah, in practice. Yeah, yeah. I don't, know. I don't I mean, know. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a way, we, I don't think we've ever had uh, brown bears, certainly when I've been living there in South Edition in Anchorage, uh, come through. We have had, I think, black bears, I think, every year. That actually, that next door app kind of a gossipy mm-hmm. app to talk about what's happening in your neighborhood. Man, those folks, if there's a, a black bear in the neighborhood, um, they almost always report. It's almost like one of those things where you can track it like, you know, it's seen in this alley, seen in this yard um, um, as a way to, to make people aware that there's a bear in town uh, or bear in the area. Uh, fortunately, we haven't had too much problems with them getting in the trash. One time, though, I did find some bear scat in a very small forest patch. Um 
and so that one evaded the the next door people. Um, mm. So that was kind of cool to see um, th- that there is you know there's bears there's black bears around even in um, very close to downtown Anchorage. Um, but fortunately, they're they're keeping to themselves mostly. Yeah. Well, so with the iNaturalist thing that you this year are well, one of the things that you've done over the years, which I've I've enjoyed, is sort of track what's going on with Alaska in terms of iNaturalist. And um, we, Alaska has a total of over 400,000 observations now, I think 413,000, and I just looked and climbing all the time. Uh, based on my experience this summer, um, I know in the past you've dug into this, I can't remember, it's been a, been a few years, uh, and I don't know if you've updated this particular look, but subjectively speaking, based on the area where I look uh, and, and try to review observations from, which is south coastal Alaska, there are a lot more very active visitors. Maybe I'll put it that way. And yeah. it's it's actually gotten difficult this summer. It's been a little frustrating, in fact, to try and keep up with reviewing the observations. I finally just kind of had to let it go and, and say, all right, well, I'm just not going to keep up for right now. I'll catch up again in the wintertime when things really slow down. Yeah, but so winter is good for that kind of yeah. project. Yeah. And there's just, they're just, there's enough people, you know, I don't, It's hard to say. I I think there's more people and many of them are still just, you know, a handful of, oh, fireweed or a whale or something like that. And they're not really posting very many observations. But you're having, you know, at least moderate, maybe not by current standards, the power power users, but moderate power users that have several thousand observations total. And on their trip through Alaska, they're probably doing a couple hundred observations. And when you have a handful of people doing that every month, then like suddenly there's a lot of observations to go through. Uh, many of them are pretty straightforward. Some of them not so much in terms of I- identifying things. And they are finding things or noticing some people noticing things that are, you know, not your typical whale bear, you know, yeah. tree uh, and a big flower sort of thing. Um, but it, it has seemed like there's more visitors and there's certainly, you know, people in the state that are I haven't really noticed number of, of people, at least in the areas that what, where I'm seeing new people that are showing up with lots of observations. There's a few people that are kind of consistently, but, but not like power user types. Um, so I don't know if you've been looking at that more recently, but I'd be curious to hear a little bit about some of your, your um, investigations sort of into what's happening in the state with iNaturalist and species. Yeah. So I think, so in early August, we passed 400,000 verifiable observations. So that means that, an observation has some sort of photo or sound file attached to it, right, where um, somebody can verify or, or add an identification to it. Um, the And in late May, I think May 28th or something of, of this year, 2023, we passed 8,000 unique taxa, right? So that might not be at the species level, but that means 8,000 unique different things um, have been recorded on naturalists within the state boundaries. So, you know, that's this, we're, we're moving forward um, in terms of the coverage, both geographic and taxonomic of, of what's been um, observable and identifiable in the state. Um, uh, hopefully I get the numbers right. So we're adding another 1,000 unique taxa every 14 months. On average, right? And so, um, uh, recently, um, that includes a lot of fungi. I would say the the um, that kingdom, the fungi, are where we're um, adding the most um, new taxa, followed by plants. Um, there's a there's a, a 
a, a pretty big jump down to other groups of mammals, or sorry, other groups of animals. Um, so insects would be next on the list of stuff that we're adding new, and then you know at the bottom of the 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 pile is um, new taxa for things like birds and mammals, right? So only a handful every year um, that us as a that that we as a community, right, are are recording new species, right? Maybe a, a a rare bird or a hard to find bird or a or a small mammal um, species that we haven't seen yet. So I expect those numbers to sort of continue. It'll be interesting if they change, but um, yeah, adding adding mostly fungi these days um, to that new tax. The list. fungi probably is including lichens. Then I think so. Yeah, yeah, and I would guess that a big chunk of that is due to one person. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Preston Willemson, yeah, yeah. Uh, otherwise known as C.S. Yampe, which I learned, uh, uh, that's his uh, username on iNaturalist, which I learned uh, refers to a type of tiger beetle down in Colorado, his favorite tiger beetle. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it took me a while. Uh, folks kept referring to Preston. I'm like, who's Preston? <laughs> I know the C.S. Yampe person, but I don't know <laughs> uh, or I know who they are. But yeah, he seems to be really keen on lichens and has been doing a lot of work on lichens. I know that there also are various fungus festivals yeah. and with uh, Noah Siegel and uh, others that are coming through and, and working to uh, document the fungal diversity mushrooms, more yeah. traditional mushrooms instead of the lichens. But there has been, and, and I know Toby Sperbilly is somebody who is now based in Canada, but done a couple of projects in Alaska, Southeast Alaska, Glacier Bay, and Klondike National Park in particular, uh, and had posted some of his photos from that work and w- with species that are interesting, unusual in 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 some way. So that that I think probably boosted the the fun- fungal ones too. But I would guess, I mean, it'd be interesting. I imagine the plant ones are probably not so much when people think plants; they're probably thinking vascular plants. But it's probably more uh, algae and um, Mosses and liverworts, I would imagine, are getting added at this point. I yeah, maybe, I, yeah, maybe it'd be interesting to look at. I think it's still there's a lot of vascular plants out there um, still to observe, and I think the Alaska Native Plant Society oh, right. really invested um, in doing bio blitzes and uh, promoting iNaturalist as a tool to help document and share uh, plant observations. So I think. Um, they sort of surged ahead with their species count, and now it's time. You know, early on it was things like birds and mammals, just like you said, right? Some of the more conspicuous and charismatic stuff that both locals and visitors alike can document. Those were some of the uh, uh, earliest things to be recorded, and then there was a period where uh, plants were some of the most um, common things to be recorded as new species. And now I think we're into and 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 insects as well in that middle period. And now we're into a, an era of fungi and it'll be interesting to see what what next right after yeah. we after we get through get through the fungi to some extent i suppose part of the challenge is that in other groups you know if you're just if you're talking about invertebrates animals and intertidal for example i guess you could just do animals and then see what starts popping up yeah. but um it is it is interesting if we look at the observations for the state the the number one most observed species is moose <laughs> Perhaps unsurprisingly. Oh, I think that's me. Actually, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Are you for mostly that. the moose? I am. I think I'm the moose king. So I've also added to my repertoire um, to do some uh, camera trapping or, or, okay. or trail yeah. cams this year. And so, 
not only am I am I documenting every moose in my yard, but I'm also at putting um, some some camera traps out there, right? So I think many people know what these are, but those who don't, it's uh, it's a camera that you can uh, post on a trail or on a tree, uh, secured, and um, there's a trigger on it, sort of a motion d- uh, detector, or sometimes it even senses heat, and it triggers the camera to take a picture or video. And so I've put some of those in uh, Chugach State Park. Um, and some other city parks, and I'm uh, getting some some local wildlife in Anchorage, including moose. Nice, yeah. I see. Uh, you know, the the fun thing about iNaturalist is you can explore the observations. So I just pulled up. You have 331 of the 3,000, so you're a little over 10 percent of the moose observations for the state. But even without you, moose would be up there near the top. Um, I think it looks like bald eagle would take over from moose yeah. without without your observations. I expected actually fireweed to overtake them. Usually there's this period that moose and bald eagles are some of the most popular things to observe. But, of course, as we know, like in July and August, when the fireweed starts to bloom and, and it's such like a – an iconic uh, view of of Alaska. A lot of people start uh, posting fireweed blooms, but um, it didn't. They wasn't able to overtake uh, the power of moose this it's, year. It's a close third. Yeah, it's <laughs> twenty nine hundred observations of fireweed, twenty nine hundred thirty observations of bald eagle, and then three thousand observations of moose. And then it's a pretty steep drop off. Brown bears at twenty three hundred roughly, and then yeah. Devil's Club is not even two thousand, and and mostly plants. Um, after that, yeah. Those, uh, and the interesting thing about brown bears is that a lot of those are driven by visitors who go to um, uh, some of the famous rivers uh, mm-hmm. where there's all the brown bears congregating. And people will make hundreds of brown bears observations on their trip, right, trying to document each individual each day. Um, it's like it just—it's sort of like a different uh, motivation that's not there for some of the other yeah. uh, species groups. Well, it is—it is fun. Different people use it in different ways, and <clears throat> so we're. Collectively in Alaska, over 400,000 observations of 413, but we're getting to this lower time of year. So yeah, and there will be folks like myself who are backfilling observation, you know, photos that, that were taken during the busy season. And I notice that periodically. Uh, visitors, you know, you'll suddenly see this flurry of observations come in from somebody I've never seen before. And if I look at their observations, they're like all over the place. And it's just, oh, they were on a cruise. Yep. And so there's a week's worth of observations. But it's definitely slower than this. Uh, summer season in terms of things coming in. So probably, although you said, you know, it was August, which not even a month ago, yeah. it's already 13,000 more observations. Yeah. It seems probably it'll be next year before we're crossing 500,000. I think so. Just like everything else, <laughs> iNaturalist goes into sort of a dormant stage in the winter. At least um, for Alaska. At least yeah. for, no, yeah. definitely at least for Alaska. Um, yeah, no, we go way down and, uh, you know, there's a lot fewer um, accounts created, I also noticed. So just like, you know, there's new new accounts that, that get created. I hope somebody's listening to the show and sort of gets motivated to create an account as well. Um, but yeah, it goes way down in the winter. Um, fewer fewer species get recorded. Few newer species get recorded. Um, one of the things I love about lichens is you can continue observing them in the wintertime, right? On, Tell on the tree trunks. Yeah. And, well, <laughs> even on tree trunks and, yeah. you know, sometimes exposed rocks and things. Those are those get me through some of some of those, uh, those snow-laden months. Yeah, I set up a, a I don't know, a project. I, project's not the right word. I decided to do observation every day. And I have a streak going. It's I'm, I'm pushing on a thousand days, not quite a thousand days of at least one observation. I, the the big 
sticking point for me was for a long time, I only had observations in Southeast Alaska. But yeah. then when I went on a trip, I was like, okay, which am I going to lose? My clean map or my daily streak? And I decided I'd keep the daily streak. So now I have some, you know, a, a handful of scattered observations from other places, but the streak lives. And for me, that's motivating. You know, in the wintertime, sometimes that just means sitting in my car on the waterfront and taking pictures of goals, taking a couple pictures of goals or, you know, uh, lichens, as you say, or even just winter plants or mosses are another one. Mosses and liverworts are around all year. And so I do spend some time doing that, but it tends to be, yes, a slower time for sure. And on one hike, I might, if I'm feeling particularly ambitious about documenting things, it's easy to get over 100 observations and one outing in the summer. And there will be days in the summer when I'm not, when my only observations are the moths that come to the porch light, you know, and that can be 10 to 15 different observations that I make because I'm observing morning and evening. But, um, but yeah, that's been one of the things that I just try and keep, keep doing as a practice. I guess that's probably the word I want. Well, I stand in awe of your observation streak. I think that's uh, really impressive and cool. And uh, I am trying to do that for the first time uh, this year. I had not uh, tried to do a daily streak be- before, but I um, decided I would do kind of a big year attempt uh, in 2023 and have, um, including uh, doing a daily streak, exactly that, right? Making at least one verifiable observation every day. Yeah, it's once I'm in the habit, it's not so bad, especially if I'm just. <laughs> Easy with myself. Like if you feel like, oh, I need to do something interesting, then you start setting a bar for yourself. I'm like, no, I, I just need to do something. And many days it'll be interesting, but some days it's just, you know, maybe it's just a weed in my yard. Uh, something easy. Uh, that and I think there have been a couple of times like I've I've done a picture of a lichen growing on my deck rail and yeah. I just like in the wintertime there's not a lot of daylight and I had something going off for most of the daylight hours so it's just like I just need something. Um, and just as part of that practice. And so I've, there's been a couple of times when it's, and I'm just like, you know, it's keeping the streak alive. And that's better overall for at least what I'm yeah. doing and what I'm trying to do, yeah, that yeah. kind of consistency. Yeah, knock on wood, I won't screw up the streak. But the, the more difficult thing for me has been I set a goal to try to uh, uh, beat some personal bests mm-hmm. in terms of the number of observations that I've made, the number of uh, species or taxa that I've recorded on the course of a year, and not just Alaska, but anywhere, and the number of new-to-me uh, uh, species. And that last one has been the most difficult. I In 2017, I had this uh, really uh, great year where I – uh, went on a work trip to in- Indonesia. I traveled and did a nature tour in southeast Arizona with some other folks from my naturalist where we did a lot of um, b- uh, black lighting for moths and other insects. I went to a Dragonfly Society of the Americas meeting in um, West Virginia. So I got a lot of those Appalachian uh, uh, ecosystems and habitats that are that are so diverse. And just living on the East Coast in Washington, D.C., you know, being able to, to naturalize all year. Um, so anyway, I got um, some, uh, you know, uh, that year in 2017, I, I recorded some 1,150 species or something. And so this year I've, I've endeavored to see 1,200. So that's 100 new-to-me species, right, and, bird, and birding lingo lifers, 100 lifers per month. And so 
um, that works about a little bit more than th- three per day, right? And so three new things that I've never seen on Earth before per day has been a bit of a challenge, but I'm I'm on track. I feel good about it. I'm not there yet, but um, I've met some a lot of my other goals already in August, but that one is the one ahead of me. Yeah, that seems challenging. I mean, it's easier if you're traveling. And so that's hence part of your motivation for this Southeast Alaska trip. Before you came here, you went with Paul Norwood and and Preston, who we were speaking about before, the Lycan uh, fellow. Uh, And Paul from here in Sitka to Haines, Skagway, and Juneau, which there is a fair amount of overlap with South Central in terms of species. However, Paul's pretty he knows the the species pretty well, and and Preston is doing lichens, and there's a lot of lichen diversity, as as well. Which, if you're just on your own, you're likely to overlook because you're just there's so much stuff, and you don't. It's when you're not differentiating it very well, it's hard to know. Oh, these are different things that I could be observing, and you're just like seeing this mass of of stuff. And so having other people there that are better at differentiating some of these things makes it easier to see stuff, which. Strictly speaking, you're seeing, you're just not noticing as something unique and and different. Absolutely. So one thing that I've learned in attempting this big year is, you know, the importance of new places and people, right? And it'd almost be interesting to do some sort of analysis to see which one is more important, places or people, right? But... Uh, going to new places, of course, always exposes you and brings you into to, um, uh, contact with things that you haven't seen before, things that look unfamiliar. And of course, I did a trip to um, to the UK this year for a work trip um, where I got to uh, see a lot of new weeds and insects that were new to me, uh, lichens there too. But interesting, a lot of lichen overlap between um, that part of Europe and Alaska. Um, and then um, a trip uh, to Barbados. Barbados, an island in the Caribbean, which of course brought in a whole new, I'd never been there before. Um, but also this year has also just brought me to some places where I had been before, right, around Anchorage, but with new people, right? So I've gotten to know Preston a little bit this year. You definitely need to get Preston on the on the show. He's, a, he's an amazing guy. Um, uh, Preston has this amazing... A set of eyes and brain uh, to th- to to look for uh, and to to learn about lichen and other um, little things, right? And and Paul is exactly the same way, you know, right? So um, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm always on the level uh, of of the same uh, naturalist as them, right? I'm sort of maybe relative to the my family and sort of my close friends. Maybe I'm the I'm the naturalist guy, but then you start to meet other people who have really different um, uh, expertise and knowledge. And it's just really impressive to be around those guys. And you, you start to see a lot that I would have just overlooked. I would have walked right on by. Yeah, it is. I mean, I've just noticed in myself over the years, in part because of iNaturalist, leaf miners being an example. And I think I was telling you about this the other day. There was It, it showed up on, on my photo journal, you know, this day in history, I always look at those to remind myself of, of my past a little bit. And, and it was a picture of uh, Cornus, uh, ground dogwood growing. And I'd taken the picture because it was growing out of a tree trunk. Basically, the rhizomes or whatever they are uh, had roots of some root-ish things of some sort it had gone up underneath the bark and then it had, the plant had grown out. And so I took pictures of the plant. And then when I got home, I realized it was just like almost the entire leaf was filled with leaf mines mm. and I didn't notice it in the field, which seems kind of nuts, but I like, I was, I was, it's, it's one of those things where you hear about, if, if you take a drawing class, they say people 
don't draw what they see. They draw the image that they know. So that they're not drawing what they see as a leaf. They're trying to draw the leaf in their mind yeah. instead of what's there. And and when you become, uh, you know, when you when you learn to, to draw, one of the things they're trying to teach you to do is not draw the, your idea of a leaf, but to draw what you're seeing. And that's, I think a lot of times we see what we know it is, for better and worse. And we're not always right, but, but it, it's... Sometimes we, we are exposed to these ways in which, and, and leaf mines were an example for me where I just wasn't seeing the leaf mines because I was seeing the plant. And I was, oh, that's a plant. And as soon as I identified it, I, it, like I knew what it was, I didn't really pay attention to it in the same way. But then I became interested in leaf mines in part because I naturalist, actually bug guide initially, but then I naturalist. There's a guy named Charlie Eisman who lives back east who's gotten really written an extensive um, book. I don't think I don't know if it's published in hard form, but you can get it from him uh, in electronic form on leaf mines in North America. Just an amazing amount of diversity. And over the years, I've started paying attention. Now I happen to I notice them a lot more. I don't think they weren't there before. I just never saw them. Um, and then as I've trained myself, and so I think you know when you go out with other people who are seeing these things, it, it's it's a shortcut um, to beginning. Oh, there is something here, and and you kind of absorb it from them essentially and it's really helpful if you have an opportunity to get out with people yeah i think that's a common human experience right in um translatable to other fields so that i forget the name of the phenomenon right but it's like the words that show up in new york times crosswords right so Mm -hmm. like someone may not know that word and it may be new to them as they're filling out the crossword but then they start noticing it in other places right and it's likely that that word was always there right but you're Somehow our human brains somehow pass over these things um, and don't give it the sort of mental space that we do when, once we learn something, then we start seeing it in the universe out there. And that's, it's pretty a cool phenomenon. I think it happens exactly in nature as well, right? Yeah. So like once we know something, once we have a name for it and can sort of put it in our mental coat rack, right? Like we're now able to sort of just – Pay attention to it and 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 know it and, and learn it and see it in other contexts. Yeah, there are definitely trade offs to that capacity, you know, because as I say, you you become blind to things if you, when you know what they are in some ways. Um, but it's also one of the reasons that I, I there's there's conversations that come up around taxonomy and how we're deciding to name things and what those names mean. And there's a number of of people that want and and taxonomists that that they're they're creating names they're they're naming things based on relatedness and and they want it to represent relatedness you know in terms of the evolutionary history and that's interesting to me uh it's not necessarily the most important thing to me uh, but i I think it is an interesting thing it's something that we want to know but there are other things that we want to know as well and i get a little frustrated sometimes it's like you know there are things that we've been told are different but nobody's given them a name. And without a name, you know, when we're just forced to leave something at genus, for example, it it encourages us to sort of lump over the diversity. And it's just as you were saying, when we have a, a, a sort of file card to hang it on, and we could give things names ourselves, but part of it is for somebody like myself who's just learning as an individual. I'm not necessarily going to dedicate myself to really studying starfish, you know, and spending time snorkeling or diving and just watching the way that they behave and all of those things where I'm getting to know them that well. Um, somebody might do that, and that person could probably, you know, develop maybe even to individual animals, you know, 
names essentially of some form, like an awareness and and a and a relationship almost with uh, at least it might feel that way to them with a particular individual. But when we're just when I'm trying to notice what's out here, it's helpful to have different names to help key my attention. So I don't just go, oh, because I, I find myself doing that with some groups. I'm like, oh, that's one of those things. And those things are hard. And someday I will look at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can get really philosophical pretty quickly, right? Like, what does it mean to know a species? And, you know, uh, different sort of uh, types of knowledge are going to have different answers to that. And so it's really interesting, I think, to sort of ask and sort of listen to people, you know, maybe a, a native Alaska, like, what does it mean to like that this species is different or ask a fish and game manager, right? Who needs to think about policy and management and laws on like how this, this sort of group of critters is different from this group or ask a geneticist, right? And some, I think some of the most insightful people are, are people who combine all those backgrounds, right? Like, you know, uh, a native Alaska, you know, somebody who uh, manages uh, fish and wildlife or fish and game who also has some knowledge of genetics, right? So these people are able to sort of intertwine, um, weave together, right? These these different types of knowing and sort of like what is a species, right? It's uh, it's 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 a cool question that doesn't have an answer, you know. No, and and what's meaningful to us, you know, and that's part of it. It's like yeah, the the relatedness thing is interesting, and it's nice to be able to talk about that. Yeah. Um, it isn't necessarily always applicable for my experience. You know, for example, if if there's just one species here uh, and, you know, there's something else that's really related somewhere else, I'm, okay, great, yeah. but I'm interested in what's here and being able to put a name to it if possible uh, it is something that I can recognize as, as distinct. And, you know, it is fundamentally somewhat arbitrary, you know, because each strand has its own uniqueness of, of moss or whatever. But it is it is it is something I've enjoyed. It sort of tweaks having the numbers game. You know, it isn't all about getting more numbers, getting higher numbers. And um, I am kind of curious, you know, uh, when I've gone out, when my brother has been visiting, for example, and, you know, sometimes we go out and, and try and get him more species. But he pretty quickly tires of just having me point stuff out to him, like... And I think probably it's inevitable in, in the project you're doing where you're really trying to get new species that there's a certain amount of that that just has to happen because you don't have the time to, to do three new species a day where you're doing the investigation and, and finding it yourself. And all of that is it's just it's not sustainable over a year unless you're like that's your full time thing. So I'm just kind of curious, like. I imagine this year's a little different and my experience with doing some big year things it's it's a grind like tr- just trying to e- just even the 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 sort of taking care of all the observations it just takes a lot of time and and then going out in the field like it's enjoyable but it's also challenging to to maintain the motivation and so I'm kind of curious this year versus other years like what what's your sort of aesthetic sensibility about having people show you stuff versus discovering it yourself or, or is that something you don't care about like some people are just like show me what it is i'll take a picture and i'm moving on and they're like that's sort of the quintessential lister all they want is a list yeah. that they can check the you know the 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 harshest stereotype of the birder um which is 
did you see it well enough for me to count it? You know, um, yeah. where, where they saw the, the flutter and somebody else is doing all the identification work. Um, I don't think there are too many people like that, but there are definitely some people like that. Um, and others of us, and I know other people that are like, they need to see it. It's not only that they saw it, but they saw it well enough where they could sit with it, watch it, observe it with the bird book in hand, observe all the characters. And, and so like their aesthetic is very different about what they'll count for their list. Yeah. So I'm always kind of fascinated and, and curious about your general sort of feelings on that and then, and then how that might be, you know, altered by your, your numeric goals for this year. That's such a great question, Matt, and like it can only probably come from someone who's attempted sort of yeah. a similar <laughs> similar effort. So, yeah, so there's things that I like about it and things that I don't about this year. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I've got no regrets in starting it and trying to finish it. I'm having a lot of fun. Um, it's taking me to sort of uh, pay attention to to things that I hadn't before, just like we were talking about before, stuff that we overlook sometimes. It's brought me into uh, contact with a lot of neat people, right? A lot of cool people that I, I'm not sure I would have had the, the push, right, to sort of get out of my comfort zone and contact and say, hey, do you want to hang out? Would you like to go out this day? Um, and it's brought me to new places, right, and, and pushing me to, to, to do that. Um, and always think about, like, if I am going somewhere new, to think about opportunities, right, to think about sort of habitats and just have a different lens on it, right, about going to a new place. So um, all of that has been great, but you you really hit on it, right, that there is a bit of a grind aspect to it. And um, I think I've also learned that um, the – when I really uh, think about my most sort of cherished experiences in nature, it's at a slower pace, right? It is just sitting somewhere or going really slowly. And often that's actually on my own, right? So there's always a balance in I naturalist of, you know, not being in, you know, being in nature and enjoying nature can sometimes be like a very solitary activity for me, at least for me, right? That, that's sometimes what I enjoy the most. I love being with some of these people, but I also like being alone a lot of the time. And uh, the great thing about iNaturalist is you can be alone and then share your experience and have other people sort of con- contribute to it without actually, you know, physically being there, right? So, but going, trying for these these big numbers is trying to get the new species, right? It's, it's I would not have been able to do it without uh, a little help from my friends, as they say, right? Without uh, Paul and Preston and you and Connor and others sort of almost in, s- in some cases it feels like dragging me to the finish line. It almost feels like another uh, metaphor that I've been using is I almost feel like a remora. Like on a big whale or a big shark, right? So you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, some of these other naturalists that I've been being with, like they're the big shark, right? And I'm just this little fish that sort of tags along and reaps the benefits of some of the things that they see, right? And so, yep, I think at the end of this, I'm glad I did it, but I think I'll have a different pace uh, next year. Yeah. And uh, even in, even on this trip that we're on now, right? You said we, we, we started in Haines, then Skagway, then Juneau. And near the end of the trip, I just had to go on a walk by myself up the hill in Juneau. And, uh, uh, you know, went on a hike, came back and met the other two guys. And they said, oh, what'd you see? And I said, I, I mean, I saw a lot, but I didn't record hardly anything. I, I said, I, I feel just a little bit inatted out almost, if you can believe it. And I, I just needed to sort of sit in the forest and I watched a sharp shin hawk, right? Like go for chickadees for five to 10 minutes. And it was just a, a beautiful experience. And of course, there's like, you know, there's a thousand, there's a million different ways to appreciate and, and enjoy nature that don't have to do with, with counting it, right? That's just, it's one aspect of it. 
And I think having these goals sort of elevates the counting part of it, right? I enjoy the counting. I, I mean, of course, I really like, you know, having been there on this iNaturalist for so long, I enjoy that aspect of it. But um, there's something about the pace, I think, that I also love about sort of, you know, setting aside the goals and just enjoying nature for its own. One of the things that I noticed, the year I pushed hardest was probably 2017. And that was the year we did, we called it All Species Community Big Year. Yeah. So it was sort of this extended bio-blitz-ish sort of thing. It didn't end up working out quite how we hoped in terms of bringing people in that were experts in a particular group and having community gatherings and stuff. But you know, several of us, and, and actually some of the folks that continue to be very active iNaturalist people from Sitka, that's when they got started. Like we, we sort of promoted it in the beginning of the year and, and some folks got keen on it and, and have taken off from there. But I pushed pretty hard. I wanted to, in the beginning of the year, I was trying to do at least three new species a day and not new to me ever, but for the year. So three new year species. And I, I found that challenging and a bit of a grind uh, to, to manage but the thing that I've noticed is, well, one, every year since 2020, I think I was just looking, and, and this year we probably already surpassed, and certainly if not surpassed, then we're on pace to. We have gotten more species than we did in 2017 when we were yeah. focusing. And so there's a kind of a ratchet thing. And when you, when you put in this big effort, and it'll be interesting to see, because a lot of yours is also involving traveling, but I, I imagine you're also you know, putting in more effort at home. And certainly even in your travels, you're learning about groups that will be applicable at home. It's easy for me to get a thousand species now. I tried three times before I did it the first time. Pretty much every year... I can get a thousand species as long as I remember. I mean, the, the basically the thing that happens is I assume that I've observed some things that I see all the time, but I didn't end up observing. So I, I have to. There's a little bit of bookkeeping that I have to do just to make sure I observe common things. That um, yeah, that I just make the assumption. Oh, I've seen that. I've, I've observed it this year, but it turned out I hadn't. So I try to do that before the end of the summer, and. But now it's it's just easy because I know enough stuff. I learned through that process of, of really pushing and, and grinding. And it's not that I have learned everything. There's plenty more to learn. And I've debated with myself around, well, do I want to try for 1,500 some year or maybe even, like, heaven forbid, 2,000? <laughs> like, 2,000 should be doable, but it would require a lot, like, a lot of knowledge of stuff that I don't currently have with mosses and lichens and things just I, I would need to know those groups a lot better than I do on the other end it's like can I condense it this year I was tempted and I, I kind of gave a half-hearted effort at saying can I do a thousand species in a month in July the Alaska Native Plant Society did their botany bio blitz for Alaska so I got over 400 species of plants in the first couple of weeks that's a big chunk of the thousand uh, I needed to hit low tides, but there was just too much going. It's just, it was, uh, you know, it, it, I, I didn't feel motivated enough. I think I could do it, but it's hard to maintain that. I'm like, do I really want to do it that bad? But it was fun to get started anyway and, and yeah. just sort of let it go when it was like, I don't need yeah, to yeah. really push it's myself. Not, I mean, so. it's, this is a hobby, right? It's yeah, not, it's yeah. not it shouldn't feel like work. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things that maybe, you know, a project to do every few years, every yeah. four or five years yeah. rather than every year, at least, you know, sort of my personality. That's that's how I think about it. And Or smaller projects along oh, yeah. the way. Yeah. And sort of exactly as you say, right? Sort of get to, new, get to a new plateau where yeah. like – yeah, the next time trying to do a thousand species won't be difficult. The the sort of the, the single species example of that, I think that will 
carry forward is um, there's these galls, like G-A-L-L. I have a pronunciation issue between goals and galls. Yeah. That plant galls shows up on these fireweed, right? You know, very conspicuous, very common plant that we see all the time. And there is a gall that happens on the flower bud before it opens. And it's very easy to recognize. Normally, that flower bud is longer than it is wide. And these galls are wider than they are tall, than, wider than they are long, right? So it's this little sort of uh, spherical-shaped gall. Um, you can open it up and find a little uh, fly in there. It hasn't been identified even below family. But we know that there is um, a forest and gall-making fly somewhere in there. And once you get an eye for it. And th- this year was the first year that I think they've been identified in Alaska. Once you have an eye for it, they're everywhere in South Central Alaska. Almost every fireweed patch you can find this thing. And that'll be something, right, that like through the the sharing of knowledge of others that will just sort of like be in my new lens, right? My v- my new view of the world when I go in and, and look. Yeah, I'm curious if that's in Southeast Alaska. I haven't noticed it. I started noticing those coming in, in the observations in South Central and it's a little late in the season probably to see them, or it's probably a lot late in the season at this point to see them here. And I don't know if they persist long enough to, to be able to see them after things have blued out. But We think we saw one in Haines, right? Oh, okay. So fireweed, um, uh, your guys' is fireweed um, exhaust, I don't know if it would be the word, flower and right, go to seed a lot quicker than it seemed like when I left them in South Central. Mm. So they were already sort of uh, dried, but it, it, they seem pretty conspicuous um, uh, husks that we could find on the fireweed and Haines. Hmm. Well, yeah, I'll have to keep an eye out for that. I mean, a similar story was the nodding gall uh, in ferns that is, if you're just kind of going by, it's easy to imagine somebody just kind of broke the end off the fern or whatever. There's a little kind of damage there, but it turns out there's a little insect, a little fly that um, gets in and then forms this this gall, kind of a massive fern leaf at the end, and so it doesn't develop fully. And Paul, I think, noticed those first, or I think he got a gall book, and so probably maybe he was looking through there, and that's one of the things, that, you know, you just get a reference, and then you're looking for things, hmm, I wonder if this is around. Yeah. And then you start looking for it, and then once he had pointed it out to me once, now I'm, I've seen it all over the place. Yeah. Like, it's, and I think, it, again, I was just like, well, those are ferns, and I know they're ferns, and oh, there's some damage on the fern, but I'm not really thinking in terms of, oh, there's gall makers, I should be, I should be looking for these sorts of things. And you know, it's I've been doing this for decades at this point, looking at stuff and and there's always like, oh, something else that's totally obvious that I just never had noticed before for no good reason. <laughs> you know, it just like it wasn't in my frame of, of possibility, really, even. Uh, and, you know, I guess that's natural because there's only so much you can keep in mind at once. And if you're really trying to investigate everything carefully, you never get anywhere. I mean, literally, you just like, you know, you hardly leave your yard because there's enough stuff if you're really getting into all the details. So there's a balance to be struck. But that's the fun about having multiple people in this kind of community. Like like we have on iNaturalist where, you know, there's a golf former's website now. Um, and I just saw an email. Apparently, they're having a little golf workshop or, or something in Anchorage. I don't know if it's this week or, or soon with one of the people that is the a founder, a co-founder of golfformers.org. <laughs> which I think grew out of iNaturalist. And um, and they, you know, they're just interested in, and there's these unknown, there's no end of unknown galls, like they're galls, but they don't know what causes them. And so these mysteries to be solved. And uh, it's it, it's kind of a, a 
I don't know if it's a game exactly, but it's it's a fun thing to do. Yeah. No, I'm hoping to make that. There's they're doing a walk in one in one of the afternoons up up there. Um forget the the person's name, but their partner is um or their their partner on the walk they're doing is Alex Wenninger. I'm not sure. Yeah, Alex saying. and then Ramsey, I think, was the name of that's the, right. yeah. of the person that was and so uh, Alex and I have not met yet. I'm looking forward to that's another person you should have on the show. Um she seems great. She's um also um Really uh, has been helpful with some insect observations and some um, other forest observations. So the cool thing this year that happened was I was I was out cutting rhubarb in my yard uh, with my five year old son Warren, and uh, he's 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 a good motivator now. He's like we found a little small beetle and it was almost too too uh, small to see any details with the naked eye. And he said, "Daddy, you know, take a picture. You need to take a picture." And I almost I probably. If I was just out there cutting rhubarb myself, I may have just skipped over it. But I took a picture, uh, uploaded it, and um, uh, a person, SGA Brown, I think their person is. They're, some, they're a weevil expert. Um, and they identified it as a species that had not been recorded in Alaska on iNaturalist. And, you know, that that can happen, but sometimes it's been recorded elsewhere by some other scientific means or something. And But I, then I looked on the state insect list, and it wasn't on there either. And there was no museum specimens of this of this taxon. And so um, I flagged Alex because I know um, they have some, some expertise and specialty in that group. And I know they also collect specimens for the museum, right, to create a, a voucher specimen. Specimen, and she started looking in on her rhubarb. She, she tried a couple different uh, methods, scientific methods, to capture insects. And she got, you know, she excitedly uh, tagged me a week later to say that she had it herself, and then she collected a specimen for the museum. Um, and in the space of a week, right? Like, I just really love how INAT can sort of speed up the pace of learning and sort of knowledge, right? That, you know, I find a, a beetle that has not been uh, recorded for Alaska before, a state record. Is that invasive type of weevil? Um, and a week later, we have a, a, a record uh, for science, right? That um, that someone else has done. So that was a cool experience, and it's it's I think just uh, shows that there's still a lot more to learn out there, and it's it really showed the power of of more than one person making these observations too. Yeah, there's no end of things in my experience, and uh, it's been fun to see what different people specialize in. Um, our, one of our local folks here, Karen Johnson, has gotten into foraminiferas and mm-hmm. getting mud samples from people when they pull up their anchors and and co- collaborating with people from, I think, New Zealand and Europe that are in, doing foraminifera things. And so, it's yeah, it's it's gr- been great to see that. It's been fun to uh, see your uh, reviews of Alaska observations and progress on species and those sorts of things and um, so if people are interested in like just reading your reviews, I suppose that I mean you usually are posting them on iNaturalist and kind of the journal functionality. So I don't think you even have to be a member of iNaturalist. You could just go to iNaturalist and and uh, at Muir. So M U I R is your username there. Yep. And then just go to the journals, and then you can find your sort of reviews. I guess you also have a journal entry about your big year. If folks wanted to read a little bit about your experience, I've been trying to chronicle it month by month. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, as we wrap up here, anything you else you'd like to, to mention? No, I just want to thank you and thank Sitka for hosting me this, this week. It's been a really great experience, and it's always a pleasure coming here. Well, thanks, Matt. You've been listening to a conversation I recorded just a couple of weeks ago with visiting naturalist Matt Muir. I want to thank him for taking some time out of his trip here to visit with me, and thank you for joining me here on the Sitka Nature Show. 
As always, I'd love to hear what you're seeing out there. Please feel free to send me an email, sitkanature at gmail.com, or get on Facebook and like the Sitka Nature page there. With fall migration upon us, I'm especially interested if you're seeing any unusual birds. It is a time of year we see more vagrants than we might other times. So please let me know if you're seeing anything that seems unusual to you. I'd be interested in checking it out. Again, you can contact me, sitkanature at gmail.com. Until next time, this has been Matt on the Sitka Nature Show, KCAW Sitka.